Pablo for breakfast. People of the Pilbara. Hello and welcome to People of the Pilbara. Now this podcast series is all about you, the people of our town that make Karratha such a special place to live. And I think there's something really unique about people that come to a place maybe they've never heard of in the middle of a desert, apparently with nothing to do. But as we all know, a lot of us come for a six month to 12 month plan and end up staying a decade, like I did. So this podcast series, we're going to have a chat to everyday people that call Karratha home and find out what they do here, what they love about Karratha and what's next in their journey. And this week's guest is optometrist Alex Craig. Me and Alex discussed the importance of eye care, screen time with kids, how some people never wear sunnies and how Alex found himself in Karratha. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy my chat with Alex and his journey to call Karratha home. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Pablo. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Now, let's rewind. You got to Karratha in 2015. I was going through your Facebook page the other day. I was doing a good stalk and I can see that you've lived in many, many places before you got to Karratha. So how did you end up here? Yeah, that's uh, that is true. Sorry, my uh, my Facebook page is probably sparse of of any sort of very interesting details. I, I struggle to keep that probably up to date as well as I should. Um, we could probably go back to 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 the beginning um, because it probably gives a little bit of context as to how mm-hmm. I ended up in Karatha. So I grew up in in Central Africa. I spent most of my childhood days in in Zambia, moving around Africa a, a little bit as a child. Um, but really, uh, my uh, initial exposure to um, to, to, to life or to medicine or to accessibility to services was was in very very regional remote Africa. Mm-hmm. I think that's where my passion for um, for what I do now in terms of uh, delivering eye care to to regional remote Australia probably started. Um, after that, I, I was um, fortunate enough to go to boarding school, so I went to boarding school in Northern Ireland mm. um, for uh, for three years. Um, we would come home once or twice a year, depending on the year. Um, but that was from the ages of uh, 13 through uh, about 17. Uh, at that stage, uh, there was a little bit of political hostility in countries around Africa, and um, it was probably time for us to, to leave. Um, getting out of Africa was quite challenging, and so my uh, family moved to South Africa um, from Zambia for, for two years, and then eventually was able to make the move to uh, America. My uh, my mother is American, and her parents had retired mm-hmm. from uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, of all places, to to uh, Nevada, in uh, western uh, the west coast of America. Um, my mum grew up in Saudi, and that's where mum and dad met. Um, which, if we're sort of talking about you know multiple places around the world, yeah. the theme probably is <laughs> is generationally old rather than just rather than just me. Um, but yeah, we settled in America, and I think. Um, moving to America as a as a seventeen year old was probably harder for me than it would have been for my siblings. Um, trying to assimilate into American culture um, at an older age was a little bit more challenging. Nevertheless, I did uh, my university degrees there, uh, my undergraduate degrees. I did a degree in biomedical science and a degree in psychology. Um, and after that, didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I had a, a passion for psychology and a passion for uh, people. I think I had um, figured out during university that I wanted to do something that allowed for me to spend time with people. And uh, at some point, optometry came across 
And I think looking back, uh, the influence probably was from when I was uh, living and growing up in Africa in that uh, there was quite a few stories of when my um, parents would, would help uh, get the uh, people who were helped work on my dad's farm checks, medical checks, and uh, a couple of instances where a simple pair of glasses changed mm. changed the life um, mm. of, of, of quite a few people. And so I think uh, the, the subconscious influence um, of having a skill set that made even the smallest difference was important to me. Mm. I I was a little bit sort of, uh, probably went through a little bit of angst and a little bit of confusion as to what I wanted to do and sat down with my dad one day and he said that he didn't mind what I did as long as I tried to be the best at what I did. And I think that um, ultimately that gave me the freedom to pursue um, the things that I was um, passionate about, which is time with people, but also then to bring along with that something that I was interested in. Which was which was eyes or optometry, Ooh. and that that began my my um, hunt for a program that I was um, then going to be uh, at least interested in uh, pursuing. Uh, I looked at a couple of places in America, um, but again, just uh, struggled with with uh, living in America, um, and and so looked around the world. And that was the other thing I think that comes with obviously the idea of. Um, traveling a lot when I was young is that when it mattered, it was easy. Mm. Um, it was easy for me to pick up sticks and to move to Melbourne, uh, of all places. And so I'd looked at a couple of different uh, programs around the world and I ended up choosing Melbourne. One, I'd never been to Australia, so I thought, this is fantastic. Uh, and, uh, and two, it was a postgraduate degree, um, which was, I think, the first of its kind for optometry in, 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 uh, in Australia. Um, it was called the Melbourne Model. Um, and so I uh, sold most of what I had and packed up two suitcases and two trunks and uh, moved to Melbourne when I was 22. Um, sight unseen, didn't know anybody there. I <laughs> uh, didn't even know where I was going to be living. Um, and another culture shock, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and didn't understand slang. And yeah. it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was super challenging, but it was... Um, it's what I was good at, I think, at the time. Um, and again, I think that's probably uh, comes from you know, moving around so much as a kid, um, going to boarding school at such a young age. Um, educational opportunities just weren't there in Africa for us, and so that was probably the only necessary or the only uh, real uh, opportunity to, to, to put us ahead. Um, the bus broke down on the way back from the airport. Uh, it was it was a it was a real welcome to Australia. It was <laughs> fantastic, and then. Um, our bus broke down and then another lady's car broke down and we all jumped out and helped push her car and it was uh, I thought this is fantastic this is a, <laughs> very, this is a great place um, and I remember distinctly on my first night my first night in, in Melbourne I went down found a, a pub to have dinner and it was a uh, an Irish pub and there was a, a full like bagpipes and uh, or a, a, probably more Scottish but a full sort of you know sing along going on mm. and I thought this is uh, this is even better because my, my dad's from Northern Ireland and so um, I felt I felt at home probably very very quickly in, in Australia which is really good and yeah. then uh, optometry is three four years four years at Melbourne so depending on where you go um, most programs in Australia will be between three and four years and most of them now are postgraduate and then from Melbourne uh, what sparked Karatha? Yeah, so again, um, I really, uh, I really enjoyed Melbourne I, I th- uh, for the four years that I was there. But mm-hmm. I never lived in a big city. Mm. I never, I mean, four million people to me was it was insane. It was, mm. 
it was um, sensory overload, I think, for a lot of the time. Um, I really enjoyed the first two years. But what I did find is that the longer that I spent in Melbourne, the more and more I ended up hanging out and going out in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I just thought, if I'm going to invest in a in people, if I'm going to invest in a community, if I'm going to invest in um, myself, in, in, in getting a job, um, why don't I just invest in a place that's about the same size as my neighborhood? And mm-hmm. so... Um, and and the sort of the appeal of the big city was starting to sort of wear off, I think, after about four years. And, mm-hmm. and again, I'd never lived in a big city, um, really. Um, and so I started to look at opportunities that would really allow for my skill set to be pushed. So optometry in, in, in Australia is a growing profession. Um, there, uh, There's a, a lot of changes happening all of the time. And a lot of the time, the educational systems will put you in a position where your training is potentially just outside of what is uh, within scope. And the idea is that when that scope changes, that you're relatively, you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had all these things that we wanted to do or that I wanted to do in terms of a skill set, but knew that if I had worked in the city where there was a lot of tertiary care, a lot of hospitals, a lot of uh, ophthalmologists, a lot of surgeons, that I probably wouldn't get as much of an opportunity to mm. see a really wide, wide case. And so... Um, and also at the same time, I was a uh, I was on a, a visa. I was on a four five seven, and so um, the companies offering those four five sevens were uh, visa sponsorship with Specsavers and OPSM. Right, and they don't make you work regional. Um, uh, but uh, when I had asked them what opportunities they had in the region, they had given me opportunities of Broome and Cal, um, Headland, um, I think maybe Esperance as well at that time, and. Um, for some reason, I, I sort of I, I, I thought about it and prayed about it when I was in Melbourne, and, and uh, Karatha came up, and I thought, look, I'll self-fund a trip to Karatha. I'll rent a car, I'll drive around, I'll spend three or four days, and I'll see whether this is somewhere that I think that I can live um, long term. And um, the end of that happened in the end of 2015, and I came up and I met the, met the store and met the met the people who worked here. I met Matt Cassidy and, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of people that were um, you know really central to, to probably the reason why I've stayed around in Karatha for such a long time. Um, and went for a drive out to Sampson and, and thought, oh, this is fantastic. Like this is not only does it give me the opportunity to see a much wider range of patients. I used to remember like optometry in, in the Pilbara has been catered to purely just by locums for 25 years, maybe more. We've had maybe two or three incidences where we've had somebody who's lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, and very typically that's because they are a partner of somebody in the mining industry. Mm-hmm. And so to have long-term permanent residency or permanent um, permanent uh, clinicians is, is is quite unheard of, and so um, it was a really exciting opportunity for me because it meant that now all of a sudden we could have influence of change in terms of the appropriateness of referral pathways and and what patients belonged where, and patients weren't just blanketly getting referred to the hospital system, um, and and that that took me then through about four years at OPSM, mm-hmm. um, and and then the corporate structure sort of kicked in mm-hmm. and it was impossible then to to flex that anymore um and uh and, and and we tried we tried to 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 make the system work a little bit better for the community but there was more that was needed um from a community integration point of view or a community investment point of view that the corporate structure couldn't couldn't really uh, allow for me to do so i just want to ask you you mentioned africa uh and the fact that a pair of glasses can really change someone's life. I recently watched, there was a great video, uh, Mr. Beast. I don't know if you follow his videos, but my daughter loves know. Mr. Beast. And, I'll have uh, to check it out, yeah. Yeah, he recently uh, gave vision to like 2,000 people in wow. really poor countries, and it was such a simple 
uh, procedure to help people see again that us here in the West, we really just take total, total, uh, yeah, we don't even think about it. It's just yeah. not even a concern for us. Um, and this really, like, changed people's lives. Um, I'd imagine that would have been quite pivotal for you growing up, seeing how much medical intervention and preventative care can actually, you know, really benefit people. Yeah, so there's two sides to it. So one is one is preventative care, um, and that's probably really important, especially in uh, in areas where, well, probably more 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 important in, in areas where there's um, affluence, but sort of maybe low um, health literacy, mm-hmm. um, and then there's just intervention full stop uh, in places where the accessibility is so poor. And I think um, that th- those two sort of thoughts or those two sort of patterns of intervention have probably really fueled the last you know, six, seven, eight years for me, maybe, um, in terms of, you know, trying to figure out, um, especially in Australia, especially in a first world country, um, where can we be better? Uh, where can we look to try to influence social change or where can we look to influ- influence um, the delivery systems of, of, of different management structures in and across the public and private system? Um, and how does that actually affect the end of one? Right. And that has to matter. It has mm. to matter. You have to be able to say and be satisfied with, well, we helped one one person, um, and I think that's that's really what drove me then to to obviously into private practice, um, to being able to be in control of that, um, to be able to be a bit more agile, um, and and ultimately left left OPSM in in late eighteen, early two thousand nineteen, um, and uh, and and opened up Karath Eye Care at the end of at the end of twenty nineteen, and and it was it's all based on the idea that we wanted to be able to allow for. Uh, people who chose to call Karatha home a an eye care hub of education of uh, uh, we wanted to offer them the ability to come and ask questions about their eye health uh, a place where we could deliver primary care where we could really work on undoing all of the uh, barriers or uh, barriers to, to accessible care um, that have just built up over the years due to lack of accessibility mm-hmm. or lack of, um, you know, uh, practitioners um, or even just willing participants to, to create infrastructure. Um, it, it's no secret that it's challenging uh, to, to sort of reinvent the wheel when it comes to um, how patients are processed in regional areas. And nothing better than to open a business just before we go into COVID. Yeah. Yeah, and that was um, and that was uh, that was that was challenging. Although um, it probably it it probably taught us more about um, the appropriate aspects of running a business than mm. than than we would have probably been able to learn had it been full go from the start. Yeah, true. Um, it was very frustrating. I had f- f- I remember distinctly feeling that I had gone to university for nine years, and I was unable to learn how to use zero. Or I was unable to balance the books. I was yeah. unable to figure out budgets, and I was I, it, it just blew my mind. And, and I, I have a greater appreciation, I think, now for people who try to start small businesses. And it was, it was, it was really challenging. We yeah. were putting in, you know, I say we. I started it with um, with a fellow called Matt Cassidy. Um, obviously, he's uh, known, known known around the Pilbara um, very, very well. He's, he's moved on down to Albany now, but um, we were in there for seventy hours a week, maybe more. Um, just trying to, to keep it alive, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, through through COVID. Yeah. I remember I walked in and got my eyes checked for the first time. I think I must have been 
32 or 33, and it's so funny. You get so used to how you live, mm. and you don't know the difference. And I, all through school, used to sit at the back of the class because, you know, that's where the cool kids sat, and mm. I wanted to be cool, and I could never read the whiteboard, and I just thought, oh, well, that's just the way it is, right? So yeah. I'd always be copying off people. And I remember you, um, I did the eye test with you, and uh, you, you put on those sort of lenses, and I was like, Oh my God, yeah. I can see. And uh, I mean, my eyes weren't even particularly that bad compared to, you know, as we mentioned, people that um, have really threatening eyesight problems. But it's remarkable how much it improves your life. It it, it, it certainly is. And, and, and you probably, you know, you, you hit it on the, on the head there. Like the it's interesting to what the brain will put up with mm. um, and also what we set as our arbiter for good. Um, you know, if we don't know, and this is, this is what I always say to the, the sort of the, uh, the 42, 43 year old male that walks in finally goes, Hey, I got a, I got a bit of an <laughs> issue here. I think I can't see things. Um, and, and had they come in when they were 32, we would have been able to sort of reframe vision, uh, for them completely. And I think, mm. uh, and again, this is, I think this is our biggest, this is our biggest cry. It's, it's really about, um, preventative, preventative uh, eye care, preventative health in general. You don't know what you don't know mm. and, and how are you expected? I always say, say to these guys, I mean, how, how, how are you, how do you, expect to know what perfect vision looks like if all you've ever seen is what you see yeah um and you know and 20 percent, 30 percent improvement in vision could be the difference in um you know really enjoying your visual environment and enjoying getting older and actually enjoying the time rather and than not getting headaches and not, not getting, getting headaches, headaches and sore when you're at the computer. Yeah. i mean that's what did it in for me i mean you can see the computer screen here yeah there's a lot of small letters and uh, it was driving me crazy i was yeah. having like the biggest headaches at the end of work um, well, I mean, they, they they say I think it's that seventy. I listened to a podcast the other day. It was, that was that it was an, it was an iPod guest, and no surprise there. Um, <laughs> but it was saying that there's some. I think the, the stat was something like seven, between seventy five and eighty percent of, of everything that we do is, in, during the day, subconsciously processed, actually goes through our is is, is mm. we actually process through our vision first. Mm-hmm. And if that's challenging, if it's yeah. hard, if it's hard for you to see well, uh, it's going to affect your overall mood. It's going to affect your overall uh, energy levels, your desire to want to do things, and then your subconscious. Consciously, just stop doing the things that you want, that you mm. enjoy doing, or that you like doing, um, and 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 this sort of un- underpins the premise of the fact that you know aging is is a really bad thing, and we want to avoid it and everything. But it can be graceful and it can be enjoyable, um, especially when it comes to the eyes, because everybody's eyes are going to start fading in their forties, or their ability to, to to induce power up close will always happen in their forties. And and to some people, especially people that we found post COVID, we've been vindicated as a profession. But post COVID, we've have found that computer work and and relentless hours and hours and hours mm. of computer work has you know wrecks havoc on the binocular vision system um, and we found that when everybody moved from you know going into the office to home offices you know for, for for two years sitting in front of a home office and doing zoom calls and spending so much more time on the computer we've we found that there's a significant increase in binocular vision disorders in children well, i was um, going to say i mean kids it'll be fascinating to see the difference between the states right because here in wa yeah we didn't really have the lockdown we didn't really do the yeah. online schooling but Compared to, I'm from Melbourne originally. Um, My goodness, all those classes were online for years. Well, I mean, we're seeing, yeah, I mean, and we're seeing, we are seeing now the 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 research coming out. I was talking to a mate's um, uh, partner in in Sydney, and we're now seeing, uh, you know, we're we're seeing sort of the effect of this over um, children, but over a multitude of different sorts of health sciences. You know, especially from a mental health point of view. So, you know, her her example specifically was that you have year nine girls who went in who were in year nine at the start of COVID, and now they're year eleven, but socially they're dealing with year nine issues in year. 11. 
And mm. so from a psychological point of view, mm. because they didn't have access to their mates, they didn't have access to, to working through that stuff. So, so mental health is struggling, physical health is struggling, your eye health is going to be, you know, so this is, it's, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the, the effect of, of, of COVID in general or moving everybody indoors mm. did uh, when we look at things sort of, you know, five, six years from now. Well, just quickly on, on screen time while we're talking about that subject, um, I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening like, oh, do I give the kid the iPad, right? Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah. it's a battle and we've managed to uh, significantly reduce my daughter's intake of screens and we now only yeah. let her have it on the weekend and it's it's not a Monday to Friday sort of thing. But obviously they have it at school and all that. Um, is there an optimal sort of time that they should have and as far as setting it up you obviously don't want it right in front of their face right yeah yep so so working distance is important so so probably two or three big big things is one is one is lighting uh so really really good lighting so you don't want them sort of sitting in the dark in their bedroom with their mm. ipad mm. you know a foot from their face that's going to be a problem um so so lighting is very important we know that because lighting affects the size of the pupil which also is part of our focusing system um the other thing is working distance so i often say to parents look if you can put the tablet on on a kitchen table it's often quite well lit on the kitchen table anyway as well um, that avoids the kid from having to, to move in and out um, especially if the iPad's in sort of in free space in their hands mm-hmm. if it's on a fixed structure they can typically stay at a certain distance and the other is just time so we say you know kids under the age of five should be probably no more than an hour to, to two hours maximum a day mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a sort of near, near device and we know that you know, when we look at um, the rate of myopia, the rate of short-sightedness uh, in the world, we know that the, the, the two things that, uh, you know, push or, or uh, you know, uh, perpetrate or propagate, you know, myopia, in, especially in, in young children, is unregulated near time. So heaps and heaps of time spending a lot of work on, on, on near work or a lot of time on near work um, and two, un, undiagnosed um, undiagnosed myopia. So two points there. One, get your kids screened. So typically if they're at sort of three or four years old, it's a good time to come in and get things looked at. We know we will know typically by then whether we need to intervene. Um, and two, really regulating the total amount of time they spend on, on near devices. Mm-hmm. Um, over sort of a 24-hour period is is probably really important as well, or is is actually really important. The other thing that's come out recently is is um, access to vitamin D. So the thing that came out of COVID was mm-hmm. that we found that there was a significant difference between you know having your your kids sit inside the house through a window and get vitamin get get sunlight versus actively being outside, right? And there's a significant difference in in how the role of vitamin D actually plays in reducing short sightedness um, and, and overall improving overall m- mental health, especially in children. Mm. Um, so low angle sunlight. So Karath is obviously uh, a place where we get a lot of sun. So you don't want your kids outside two o'clock in the afternoon or twelve o'clock when it's the sun's in the middle of the sky. You sort of we're talking about low angle sunlight. So early morning and late afternoon sunlight is fantastic for children. Really, really good for their eye development. Um, understanding that that. Uh, one, children don't have the ability to process the full UV spectrum until they're about 15, 16. So UVC light is, is not really filtered well in the human eye until they're sort of in their mid uh, mid to early teens. And, and they need to be wearing sunglasses, uh, especially if they're on the water because the glare portfolios are significantly higher. Um, and, uh, um, and two, you're not born with good vision. So a lot of your environment has uh, a big, or your environment has a big, a big role to play in in how good your children's vision becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's often something that that's missed, um, but very important to remember. You mentioned sunglasses, and this has always fascinated me because I can't walk outside without wearing sunglasses. I've always worn them. Um, I find it incredible, and I can't. Under- Is there something going on with people that don't need to wear? Well, they claim they don't need to wear su- sunglasses when they're outside. My dad just will never wear sunglasses. Never does, yeah. And kids, I find quite hard to get sunglasses on them. 
have they? Is there a different eye structure, or are they uh, just more put up, put up with it? Yeah, so so they probably just put up with it a little bit better, to be honest. Um, from a, from a medical point of view, we do know that people who tend to and this probably doesn't really work for you, but but people who are fairer, so they have light light eyes and and, and lighter uh, lighter hair, less less melanin in the eye to, to absorb the light. They tend to be far more. Um, uh, far more susceptible to to, to glare in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that you you wear a prescription, right? And so ultimately, if you have prescription sunglasses, your vision is going to be far better. So over no, but time, before that, I but even without, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, Look, know, you uh, see some people that are like, oh, I never wear sunglasses. They never oh, wear sunglasses. Yeah. Um, what are you up to? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you operate? Blows my mind. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't, can't even open my. I can't even open my eyes outside. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> Without sunglasses on, it's um, it is it's really hard. Look, I, th- I think I think part of it is is just getting getting used to it. I mean, those people will squint a lot more as well, and mm. so um, there's no way they walk. They, you know, it's it's quite hard for them to be able to walk around with their eyes fully open. Sure. Um, yeah. But but you know, and there's and there and there is a school of thought around sun sun sunglasses that is. Uh, you, know, you know, potentially detrimental. I've, I've read the science on it, and I don't, I, I don't think that it's it's a great evidence. But the suggestion is that if you wear sunglasses too much, then you're potentially going to stay in the sun longer than you would if you weren't wearing them. Mm-hmm. And and I can I can see the argument um, there, but I, I also don't I don't haven't been able to find any evidence to suggest that that's actually necessarily true. Now, blue light. There's mm. been so much talk mm. about this over the last couple of years. You got to get your blue light glasses. You're supposed to wear them at night time. Yep. Do they make an impact? So um, all that we have been, again, all that we have been able to prove, and I think that a lot of blue light uh, companies, a lot of guys who sell glasses around blue light, a lot of it is an anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, uh, they specifically will target people with uh, eye strain or, um, you know, we, we would say our position would be that, look, if you are struggling with eye strain, instead of just going out and getting a pair of blue light glasses, come and get your eyes tested first. Mm-hmm. Um, our position at Carath Eye Care is based on the science that we can find that backs uh, one aspect. And we know that exposure to blue light can affect circadian rhythm mm-hmm. okay now we know that typically after about nine o'clock in the morning uh until i mean when we look at sort of the the, the biochemistry around the circadian rhythm we know that there are you know photoreceptors in the eye that talk to what's called the suprachiasmatic clock it sits above your soft palate in your in your in your mouth uh that sets your circadian rhythm and so um we know that uh, typically after about nine o'clock that uh, in the morning until about, I think it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. That clock cannot be changed. So you know, people say they're a morning person, they're a late person. That's uh, relatively, uh, it's not untrue, but it can be moved. So it can be it can be affected by um, what's called your your, your 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 body's lowest temperature. And so a couple of hours, two hours, three hours before you wake up, your body's typically at the lowest temperature. So exposing yourself to light at that time will shift your shift your circadian rhythm backwards or forwards depending on what you want. You want to wake up earlier, you can do that. You want to wake up later, you can do that, right? So mm-hmm. really important in kids as well uh, in terms of in terms of um, having regular routine. Blue light, though, we have found in shift workers, right? So, And our policy typically at Karath Eye Care is that if you are a shift worker, if you are exposing yourself to a lot of computer light or to a lot of artificial light after when you would normally be shutting down, Right, uh, when you normally would be going to sleep, mm-hmm. and that's going to promote wakefulness, then the blue light filter in those cases is mm-hmm. is a good idea, mm-hmm. um, in that it allows for you to fall asleep quicker than when you do choose to go to sleep, mm-hmm. rather than promoting as much wakefulness as it would if you didn't have that filter on there, um, and that's really well, that's really the only incidence that we we would prescribe um, uh, blue light filters um, is for is for people who were on shift work, hospital, you know, night shift, things like that, um, especially if they were struggling with. Um, 
with uh, either uh, sleeping patterns mm -hmm. or with eye strain. Yeah. And I assume looking at the phone just before you jump into bed and go to sleep, we not all do ideal? It. We all do it. <laughs> we all do it. I, my wife and I have arguments about this all the time. Uh, and and no, we shouldn't do it. Yeah. We shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. You'd be, you'd be far better off if you read a book mm -hmm. um, before going to bed. And you fall bed. asleep so much and better fall, And you fall asleep so much better, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, unfortunately. But yes, uh, we, we definitely all do it. Yeah. Uh, now, if you could change anything about Karatha, Alex, is there mm. anything you'd change? If I gave you the almighty power, you can do anything. Budget is not a problem. Yeah. Um, interesting question. I think um, really in the last probably six months, I've been so heavily focused on, on the growth of the business. And I think that our, our, our biggest frustration, I think, is um, – you know this the the worry about employable staff, and I think mm -hmm. that if there was a way to try to, um, you know, uh, prop up smaller businesses when it comes to salaries, or being able to allow for us to create innovative schemes to keep people um, m m more loyal to small business, um, rather than chasing a higher paycheck at, at bigger companies. I mean, that, that, that's our biggest thing, I think, is in that we want to create a good service. We want to be able to um, create longevity in what we do, and, and it's hard because we don't have um, we don't have often um, as much resources uh, as, as, as sort of big mining in terms of trying to keep people um, keep people there. Uh, I think if we were talking about things physically, Pablo, I think we, if we had a bit more sand at Hearsons, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, I think, uh, and, and maybe a little bit more waves. I'm trying to keep my my optometrist here, and um, he's he's a uh, he's a surfer, a very keen surfer from um, from Victoria, and we just don't have enough waves. <laughs> but yeah. Well, on the livability side of things, uh, what what do you love most about Karatha and living here? Um, I, I really, I really love the simplest, the, the 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 simplicity of life. To be honest, I don't, uh, I don't want for anything in Karatha. Again, maybe that's from where I grew up. Uh, I never had uh, sort of the the opportunity to live in in a real big city other than in Melbourne for my degree. And so I, um, I think uh, the things that I uh, choose a desire in life I find very easily in the community in Karatha mm -hmm. the, the the community spirit and the um, opportunity to be involved in everything from sporting to you know, parent teacher associations to you know, being board members and, and taking a punt and doing things that I think that you wouldn't necessarily be involved in or get the opportunity to do in bigger cities I think is Karatha's superpower I think that we mm -hmm. we really allow for people to, to, to have a go and to have a fair go um, and that's one of the, the biggest things that I hope that we can, can continually do through through our business is to just be able to provide opportunity for people here, not only through employment but through through good top quality eye care. Now we spring this question on all our guests, and uh, I want to know: is there a party trick or something that people, when they meet you, Alex, they would not know? Maybe some story from your past or a hidden talent? Um, Anything spring to mind? No, not 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 really. I mean, or a, a hobby or something a, like that. Kind of thing. Um, I, I, it's interesting you ask, and I think, and it's probably maybe not the answer you're looking for. It's not super exciting, but I, I, I found it encouraging. I think that there's a period of time in most people's lives where they try to figure out what they are other than what they do. Uh, and what I mean by that is that you come to work every day. You, so easy for example, uh, you come to work every day. You, uh, you're, you know, you're involved in media. You're a radio presenter, but maybe you play guitar on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, you're Pablo the DJ, but you're also a guitar player, right? I never had one of those things, and I, I went on a, a bit of a journey um, 
in 2019 where I thought, oh, maybe I'm a runner. You know, and I ran 500Ks, did 5Ks a day until I hit 500Ks. And I thought, no, I don't really really like running like that's you know and then bought a guitar you know found a guitar for 99 bucks thought oh I'll buy a guitar I'll download the app not really a guitar player either um <laughs> and and it really sort of bothered me mm-hmm. for a long time um who am I outside of what I do mm-hmm. um and I think ultimately what I what I actually came down to is that I'm I'm just a, a lifelong student that's just what mm-hmm. I am I just enjoy learning I enjoy learning about the eye and that also is okay mm-hmm. we don't have to flee from what we do mm. um and i think that if we really enjoy what we do and that's our identity and that's also okay so i don't know if that answers no, like your question that. but it's answer. it's just something i think that i found important over the last couple of years yeah good answer uh and last question what's next for you and what's next for the business so we are in a uh, in a position now where we've been able to um we've been able to bring on a second optometrist which has been um, fantastic for us obviously we've had a bit of a staffing reshuffle mm-hmm. um, we've had uh, Mac and our store manager move away and Stacy in our in our ops, ops position move away as well um, and so we went through a bit of a restructure and that takes uh, takes a lot of time for me to then figure out um, what that looks like moving forward we have a, a lot of very young talent um, working for us at the moment and um, that just means the business needs to be managed a little bit differently um, which is which is really exciting um, to be honest it allows for us opportunities Part of Karath Ikea's ethos is that we want to offer opportunities to everybody that works there to expand their skill set. So we've um, recently had uh, one of our dispensers graduate with a certificate for in, in um, from the Australian College of Optical Dispensing, um, and so being involved in setting up those programs and, and being able to invest in, in the people that we work with, I think is, is one of my other passions. And so that's what I'm really focused on now at the moment in the business. Um, at the same time, we've just opened a clinic uh, once a month in Robin, which is fantastic at, at the um, MHS there mm-hmm. at Marankar. Um This allows us again to really work on preventative care. Um, and we still run the two clinics at the hospital with the, um, with the Lions Eye Institute, Personally, for me, I'm getting a lot more involved in advocacy. So I was over in Canberra last November talking to some uh, some of the parliamentarians as a part of a group for Optometry Australia, trying to figure out how we can create working groups or a, a bit of a better working environment between the federal and state governments when it comes to health and health initiatives. Optometry is not necessarily a public health service, as you would know. You don't typically mm. go to the hospital for optometry. Um, but there's a very big need there, um, especially in the bigger cities. And so we're trying to utilize regional areas to um, kick off uh, some of these programs. We've come up with a program that really works very well on telehealth in conjunction with um, Dr. Angus Turner from the Lions Eye Institute. We now run telehealth clinic every single week that allows for people who are referred to immediately be seen, um, at least triaged and triaged onto surgical wait lists or at least for management plans to be created acutely, um, which was unheard of it's, un- it's it's unheard of in a lot of places in the country as well and so it's very exciting for us to be involved in things like that um my we'll be here for another another 10 years my wife's a teacher and and hopefully we are uh, going to be fortunate enough to, to to raise a family in karatha and and we'll see what happens probably in the next decade or so but yeah happy to be here otherwise well alex appreciate you uh sharing your journey from uh all the way back from africa all the way here to karatha and i uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast thanks so much pablo thanks for the opportunity appreciate it mate from around the corner to your street and neighbourhood. This is Pablo for breakfast. Just